Hi, this is Kale Clark with The Faith Explained. We'll return to our series on Romans very soon, but for now, enjoy this classic episode of The Faith Explained Show. This is Kale Clark, and this is our series on The Faith Explained. It's called The Holy Spirit, A Beginner's Guide. And we often do feel like beginners when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit in our in our situations, in our individual circumstances, because, again, he seems kind of mysterious. We need to get more and better experiences with him, need to understand and hear his voice better in our lives. And so in our first episode, and if you missed it, you can catch it on the archives, relevantradio.com, the Relevant Radio app. Uh, just look up the Faith Explained show. We talked about uh, this wonderful book, by Father Jacques Philippe, who I maintain is the world's greatest living spiritual writer. Um, that's just my personal take. It's called In the School of the Holy Spirit, and it's a really practical guide to the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that he said in his book, and we kind of finished off with this in our last episode, is that holiness is the work of the Holy Spirit, which makes sense. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us holy. We know that Part of our reason for being, our raison d'etre, if you will, is to become saints and also to help other people become saints, to become holy, to become the best version of ourselves. And in a do-it-yourself world where we put together our own furniture, we can't construct our own spiritual life, our own spiritual edifice, the interior castle, if you will, of our own sanctification. We need God to help us do that. And Father Jacques Philippe says, hey, this job is beyond us. The task is beyond our power. Don't forget what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We have to be connected as branches to the true vine. And so the Holy Spirit is, is like the sap in that vine, the life of God that comes to us. And so that was one thing we looked at. But now we have to look at a second aspect of this truth that only the Holy Spirit can be the author of our own sanctification. That we all have a unique road. Father Jacques Philippe says that only God knows each person's road. And he says we can't become holy simply by drawing up a plan for ourselves. Now, don't misread him when he says this. He doesn't say that we don't need a plan. Uh, if we fail to plan, we plan to fail in a certain sense. We do need a plan of life, as it's known. We need to have a program kind of laid out for us in terms of our personal prayer, when we're going to do it, how we're going to do it, what we're going to do, whether it's daily prayer, daily mass, our rosary, spiritual direction, retreats. All, all of these things are very helpful and help to, once again, put us in God's orbit, if you will, so that he can sanctify us, so the Holy Spirit can sanctify us. But he just said, Father Jacques Philippe said that a plan alone is not sufficient. Otherwise, it would just be more human effort. I had the best plan. I, I have by far the better plan for my own sanctification than any of my friends, so it's no surprise that I'm going to make it. No, that, that's not what it's all about. Now, we do have to figure out uh, some sort of a plan, but it's not simply by our plan alone. And we'll see why in just a second. But we do have to figure out how we're going to use the time that we've been gifted, use the time that we've been given. Because don't, don't forget, our, our very lives are, in fact, a gift from God to us. Uh, we didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. 
And we don't know how, how much longer we're going to be here. But these minutes, these hours, these days, these weeks, these months, these years that have been allotted to us, we have to do what St. Paul says to do in one of his letters, to redeem the time. Redeem the time because the days are evil. So we have to be good stewards of the time that's been entrusted to us. And part of that is trying to plan it out well. And that's for sure. And we want to be able to say what David did at the end of his life. In the Old Testament, it says that when David fulfilled God's plan for him in his generation, he died. That's not a bad epitaph. (laughs) I can think of much, much worse. Uh, I've always joked that what I want on my tombstone is, see, I told you I was sick. But but no, a much better epitaph would be, he fulfilled the plan that God laid out for him in this generation. And we have to do that for each for, for all of us. We, we, we have a unique contribution to make, a unique uh, part to play in God's plan for the world, for the universe, in this time, in this age of the world's history. It's been entrusted to us, and if we don't do it, there's going to be something missing. But again, having a plan is not enough. I think of what the boxer Mike Tyson used to say, the famous Iron Mike, when he was at the height of his powers. He was virtually undefeated, undefeatable, unbeatable. And various boxers would try to come up with a strategy to try to beat him. And Mike Tyson used to say, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. (laughs) And then it kind of goes out the window. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, I've just been hit by Iron Mike, and uh, I'm not sure which way is up at this point. But life is like that too. Life punches us in the face, in a certain manner of speaking, and throws curveballs at us, uppercuts, right hooks, if you will, um, things that we didn't see coming uh, that kind of stop us cold in our tracks. And so we need more than, than just a plan. We need the Holy Spirit. And, and this is part of the unique path that each one uh, has in this world. Uh, Father Jacques Philippe says that there is no given model of perfection that's identical for everyone. Now, we're all called to be saints, but not we're not called to be cookie-cutter saints. We're not called to, to look like gingerbread men, if you will, where everybody's exactly the same. We all have different attributes, qualities, life experiences, personalities, spiritual gifts, things that we're passionate about, and God uses all of those things to bring about his will for us. And another thing that that Jacques Philippe says in his book is that nobody knows, no individual person really knows what his his or her own holiness consists of. What, What does he mean by that? Well, he says it's revealed to us very often bit by bit, by degrees. And a lot of the times it's not what we thought starting out. We, we may have had some idea in our, in our minds about what God was calling us to, what our vocation might be in this life, how the Spirit wants to use us, and been totally surprised when it was something else. And, and he says the greatest obstacle that we might have on our path to becoming saints is to, to cling too closely, he says, to the image that we have of our own perfection. And, and think, about, think about one's personal vocation, and some people have more than one vocation. We know that we're to become saints, and vocation is really part of the answer of how that's going to happen. How are you going to do that? Are you called to the religious life? Are you called to become a monk or a nun, a religious brother or sister? Or if, you, if you're a Catholic baptized male, are you called to the priesthood? Are you called to marriage? Are you called uh, to be a wife and a mother if you're a woman? Are you, are you called to be a celibate for the sake of the kingdom and, and to, to bring life into God's kingdom in a different way. 
not just bodies and souls, but but to be the shepherd of souls. And, and so you got to figure out that God will reveal this to you as you as you go along. And I know so many people who have been surprised by what God wanted them to do. I have a priest friend named Father Tom who was absolutely convinced that he was to be married. In fact, he was engaged to, to a young lady and was planning on being married. And he he told me that once he was at a party and he was surrounded by all of their friends and these other couples, life seemed to be just going great. But then he, as he was sitting on the stairway in the midst of this party, God kind of spoke to him and, and he was asking the question, is this all there is? And God had something else for him. It was, it was the priesthood. And I have another friend named Luke who thought he was supposed to be a priest and he, and he, and he went to the seminary. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to see if this is God calling me. And he put himself at God's disposal and God revealed to him, I was there. No, no, I want you to be married. I want you to be the father of a family. Uh, and so in a different way. So God has a particular path for each individual that will probably surprise you. And that's okay because it's all about God's masterpiece being revealed in you. And, and Father Jacques Philippe says that, quote, what God wants is always different. It's always disconcerting at one level. But ultimately, it's infinitely more beautiful because only God is capable of creating totally unique masterpieces, while we humans can only imitate. And, and that, that is certainly the case. How many counterfeit handbags are there on the market, you know, that, that people buy? Oh, that's, that's a Coco Chanel, is it really? Same with art. People copying the style of the great masters, but God, who is ultimately the artist, he, he, he can create this masterpiece that is you, his plan for, for your life. And that's what the saints are, these unique masterpieces. They're, they're so unique, and people always are afraid that if they kind of allow themselves to be immersed in God, that they'll become some, like I said, generic cookie-cutter saint, just like the guy next door, Ned Flanders, bizarre perhaps, a, a, a weird sort of Christian. No, 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 no. God's never going to... Get rid of what makes you uniquely you. Peter Crave says the sinners, the sinners are the ones who are all so dreadfully alike. It's all the same stuff all the time. It's, it's boring and predictable, but the saints are the true originals, aren't they? And so we can't do this. The point of this is we can't do this. We can't figure out what God's unique masterpiece is when it comes to our life without the Holy Spirit. You're listening to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio. I'm your host, Cale Clark. So what this is all about, ultimately, is finding God's particular will for you. And this is why the Holy Spirit is so key. We can't figure this part out without him. Now, we can figure out his general will. That, that's, it should be blatantly obvious. It's not that obvious to, to most people, but in the teaching of Scripture, in the commandments, the Ten Commandments, that's God's general will for all people. The moral law that never goes out of fashion, it's, it's eternal. The natural law, the, the precepts of the church, again, what, what Scripture has to say. All of these things are God's general will for everybody. But that's not enough because those are table stakes in a certain sense. That is the bare minimum that we need to do. But there's this particular will for our lives. And I mentioned the idea of vocation earlier. Am I called to marriage? Well, if I'm called to marriage, I'm not called to marriage in the general. I'm called to marry a specific person. 
and to help that person become a saint. And they're supposed to help me become a saint. And that's part of, part of why God brings us together. It's the same with anything else. But there are, there are thousands and upon thousands of other decisions that we have to make in life with respect to our particular will, whether it's taking a job, whether it's uh, to accept a transfer to another country or, or um, what school should, should I put my child in? There's so many, there's so many different decisions that, that seem minor, but they are all a part of God's specific individual particular will for us. And we need the Holy Spirit to figure that out. So this is where, as Father Jacques Philippe says, these inspirations of the Holy Spirit come in. In our last episode, we talked about St. Faustina Kowalska and how she said that it's the great shortcut to holiness. If we can follow the inspirations of the Holy Spirit, it's like a turbo boost. And it'll get us way farther and way faster in our life with God than anything else that we could possibly do. And so this is something that we really have to keep in mind. We've got to get the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for God's particular will, in particular. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's, that's how it's going to work. So one thing we can, we can understand here is that we, we can often get on the wrong track. Uh, Philippe talks about if, we, if we're not paying attention to the inspirations of the Holy Spirit, we might be working on the wrong thing in our spiritual life. Because there, there, are, there are a lot of fronts that we have to fight battles on. And there are a lot of different aspects to our spiritual life. And we might be struggling with a dominant fault. We might be struggling with a, a character defect that's, that's deeply rooted. We're trying to get rid of it. And yes, God wants us to get rid of it, of course. But at the same time, and many spiritual writers have suggested something along these lines, that it may be that God wants us to just humbly understand that we got to deal with this. We're, we're going to be weak in this area, and it's going to take some time to uproot that. But really, maybe what God wants us to do right now is focus on something else. Well, you never know that if, if, if you're not paying attention to the inspirations of, of the Holy Spirit. And this is another thing Philippe says. I'm going to, I'm going to quote him here. Quote, without these inspirations, there is a serious danger that we may either let ourselves off too easily on certain points or demand of ourselves more than God is demanding of us, which is just as bad and more common than we might think. God does call us to perfection, but he is not a perfectionist. And perfection is reached not so much by external conformity to an ideal as by inner faithfulness to God's inspirations, end of quote. All right, now what does he mean by that? When he says God is, he calls us to perfection, but he's not a perfectionist. Okay, well, he does say, Jesus did say in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, what do you mean by that? Of course, we should try to eliminate sin in our life, but we're never going to be impeccable. We're never going to be completely without sin, this side of heaven. We've got to strive for it, but that's, I don't think what Jesus was talking about. What he was talking about was perfection in love. And St. Therese of Lisieux used to say that all the time. The perfection that we can seek is trying to be perfect in love. We're not going to be impeccable. We're not going to be sinless, but we can try to be perfect in love and try to be perfectly faithful and, and responsive to God's little inspiration sometimes through the Holy Spirit. And, and here's another thing, and this is so deep. This is so, so deep that Father Jacques Philippe says. And then quote him again right, right now. He says, quote, even though we know that God's will and commandments apply to everyone, we don't always have the strength to fulfill them. 
But every time we respond faithfully to a motion of the Spirit, out of a desire to be docile to what God expects of us, even if it's something almost insignificant in itself, that faithfulness draws grace and strength down on us. That strength can then be applied to other areas and may make us capable of one day practicing the commandments that up until then we had not been capable of fulfilling entirely. This could be seen as one application of the promise made by Jesus in the gospel. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. One can deduce a fundamental spiritual law from it. We will obtain the grace to be faithful in the important things that at present we find impossible by dint of being faithful in the little things within our grasp, especially when those little things are the ones that the Holy Spirit asks of us by calling to our hearts with his inspirations, end of quote. Okay, so that is really, really deep. Now, Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. The parable of the talents. And he also said in another place, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is unfaithful in small matters will be unfaithful in bigger ones. That's, that's true. So essentially what he's saying is if we can be faithful to these little inspirations of the Holy Spirit, God will grant us even more bigger uh, inspirations. And, well, it's going to be like a, a virtuous circle. More frequent inspirations, stronger inspirations, as Jacques Philippe says. We're going to get them if we're faithful to the little ones that we have. Jacques Philippe mentioned something that Sister Faustina wrote in her diary, Divine Mercy in My Soul. This is Sister Faustina. She says, quote, This evening I tried to do all my exercises before benediction. Now, she's not talking about doing pull-ups or push-ups or sit-ups. Those aren't the exercises. These are spiritual exercises, of course, because she was a nun should be obvious, but she says, I tried to do all my exercises before benediction because I felt sicker than usual. But right after benediction, she says, I was going to bed. And as I went into my cell, and that's what they call their, the rooms in a monastery, a cell. Suddenly I felt inwardly that I had to go to another sister's cell because she needed help. And I went straight there. I went straight to her cell and sister said, oh, how good it is, Sister Faustina that God sent you. And she spoke in such a low voice that I could hardly hear her. She said, Sister, please bring me a little tea with lemon because I'm so thirsty and I can't move. I'm suffering so much. And she really was suffering a lot and she had a high fever. I settled her more comfortably and quenched her thirst with a little tea. When I went back into my cell, my soul was penetrated with a great love for God and I understood that we should pay great attention to inner inspirations and follow them faithfully. And faithfulness to one grace attracts others. End of quote. So that, that is an incredible little story about how it seems, it seems like a throwaway story almost, but St. Faustina was, was responsive to this little inspiration from the Holy Spirit. Go to this sister's room. She needed help. And she felt this incredible outpouring of the Spirit in her life. Because she was faithful to that. It, this is the virtuous circle. It leads to more and more fulfillment with God and more and more inspirations. We'll talk more about that on the next episode of the series, The Holy Spirit, A Beginner's Guide. I'm Cale Clark. This is The Faith Explained, but don't go away. We're going to dip into our Q&A mailbag right now. Okay, so this question is a common one that I've gotten from a lot of different people. Before we get to that, 
I'm going to tell you how you can send your questions to me on the Faith Explained. I'll try to answer it on air. The email address is faith, F-A-I-T-H, at relevantradio.com. And you can also try getting your questions to me on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E, and submit your question via Twitter. Gotten a number of questions about whether or not it's okay to lift up your hands during the Our Father at Mass. This is a bit of a tricky one. This is a bit of a tricky one. And so this uh, kind of related to that is people holding hands, and sometimes holding hands and lifting up their arms during the Our Father. Is, is this proper? Ought this to be done? Well, well, certainly there's no question that when you read the the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, you look at the Psalms, this idea of lifting your hands in prayer is very, very common. And it's a commendable practice in a, in a certain sense. St. Paul says in the New Testament, I want men everywhere to lift holy hands in prayer. But what about public prayer? And of course, the liturgy, the Mass, is the par excellence prayer of the church, the public prayer of the church, the liturgy. And so is it is it appropriate for people to lift their hands as the priest is doing during the Our Father? Well, it's true that for the priest, that is part of his liturgical responsibility. In fact, uh, it, it says for him to do that, the principal celebrant of the Mass. And certainly, a priest should say the words that he ought to say during Mass, and he ought to do the things that the liturgy prescribes for him to do during the Mass. But it's interesting that even if there's a con-celebrating priest, it doesn't say for that priest to do that. But the principal celebrant must do that. So what about those who are in the congregation? Is, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. There's nowhere that it says in the rubrics of the Mass that when it's time for the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, nowhere does it say that the congregation is to raise their hands, but nor does it say that they shouldn't. There's simply nothing said about it. So is it a gray area? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Some people say, and again, this may be a liturgical urban legend. I'm not saying it is true. Uh, but I just submit this to you. Some people say, and again, I, I have no idea if it's even possible to trace it back to its origin, but some say that this whole idea of the congregation uh, lifting their hands during the Our Father was a way of trying to blur the distinction between the clergy and the laity in the years following Vatican II. In other words, this whole idea of we're all priests. We, we, can, we can all raise our hands as the priest does during the Lord's Prayer. Uh, is there any basis in reality for this? Well, it is true that we are all priests by virtue of our baptism. We share in the priesthood of Christ, his offices of priest, prophet, and king, that, that threefold office. Um, and, it, and it is a specific liturgical posture of the priest to pray this way. It's called the Oran's position, with, it, with his arms extended and, and uh, his hands uh, in the air. It is a prayer posture uh, of the priest. Now, that may, that may be a reason not to do it. Um, again, there, there is simply no regulation on this. But here, here's another thing about it, though. Does it devalue the sign of peace that follows immediately on the heels of the Our Father prayer? If you, if you, let's say you're holding hands with the person next to you. Well, then, 
What about the sign of peace that happens right afterwards? Now, we don't even necessarily need to shake hands during the sign of peace. Um, that's not necessarily part of the deal there either. It never says in the germ that you should do that either. And I know people are concerned about germs at mass, especially uh, during COVID times. That was certainly the case, but I'm not talking about those kinds of germs. I'm talking about the general instruction of the Roman Missal, also known as the germ, colloquially, haha. Um, there's nothing about shaking hands during the sign of peace. But if you've just been holding the hand of the person next to you during the Our Father, and then, well, now what do you do? There, there is sort of a, an awkwardness there, for sure. But there is nothing in the rubrics about it. that's That's the bottom line. I'm just saying, technically speaking, there's nothing saying that the lay, lay people should or should not be doing this during Mass. I personally don't. That's just me. Um, there's also, of course, the idea of holy hands in prayers. We, as I like to say when teaching my daughter how to pray, I said, you know, holy hands, holding your hands together, uh, folded in prayer. There's no real stipulation for that either, but people do do it uh, when they pray, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. So there's no technical answer to the to this uh, question. That's <laughs> That may be very disappointing to uh, to some of you out there, but keeping in mind that some would say, if the rubrics don't say not to do something, that doesn't mean that we should. <laughs> so I, I'm going to leave that to your discretion. Now, here's another question that I got uh, in the mailbag, and this comes from Tom McGovern in Front Royal, Virginia. A lot of relevant radio listeners there, to be sure, the home of Christendom College as well. We have a great relationship with them. He says, hi, Cale. Thank you very much for your recent series on the biblical roots of the papacy. How do you answer this question? Very often, non-Catholic Christians will hit me with 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Isn't Peter denying a specific Catholic priesthood, they will say? How do you respond to that? Okay, so that, that uh, thank you for that question. Really appreciate that, Tom. Uh, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All right, so that's a, a great verse uh, from that first letter of Peter. And yeah, some people will try to use this to say, see, there is no specific Catholic priesthood. We are all priests. It's somewhat similar to the argument that some say is true with uh, raising your hands during the Our Father. It's an attempt to blur the line between uh, officially ordained clergy of the Roman Church and, and the laity. It doesn't matter. Uh, ordination doesn't matter. We're all priests. Uh, that, that's not what Peter is saying here. I, again, we do all share in the priesthood of Christ by virtue of our baptism. So that, that is true. So when he says you were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that, that's all true. And, and by the way, that was true of Old Testament Israel as well. So before the Levites became the official priesthood, if you will, of ancient Israel, Every firstborn Israelite male was a priest in his own home, as it were. And just as in Israel, there were the Levites who were the official ordained priests, if you will, but yet the whole nation was still considered a kingdom of priests. The same, the same is true with the Catholic Church. There is a ministerial priesthood, the sacrament of holy orders, and it serves the common priesthood or the royal priesthood of all the people. In other words, uh, through dispensing the sacraments, especially the sacrament of the Eucharist, Christ himself, and also the power of Christ poured out uh, in baptism, in especially 
confession. Thanks for joining me today on The Faith Explained. I'm your host, Kale Clark. If you missed an episode, you can always catch them in podcast form on the relevant radio app. I'll join you in the next one, and I'll be with you later today at 5 p.m. Central, right here on Relevant Radio for The Kale Clark Show. Until next time, God bless you.